0: Today's episode is quite literally brought to you by our patrons who made it possible for me to replace my computer that I used to produce this podcast when it died this week. So to all of our patrons, including our newest patrons, Megan, Hillary, Rebecca, Kylie, Savannah, Professor Threat, and Lauren, we literally can't thank you enough. Uh, All of our listeners literally can't thank you enough because you are the one and only reason that everyone is listening to this episode right now
1: before we get started with today's episode we have a couple of things we want to talk to you about first off we want to talk about our make harry potter even Gayer 2020 campaign in which we want all of your queer harry potter creations let it be merch fan vids fanfics links to your instagram tumblr account uh, if you're following us on social media we we've been sharing links for awesome queer creators who are doing excellent Harry Potter things uh you should check us out on Instagram and keep keep it coming uh we wanna just be buried in queer Harry Potter transformative works created by queer people
0: yeah we're creating basically we're gonna be making a reference library. Uh, which we already are starting on Instagram. We have story highlights for the things that we have gotten a bu- like good amount of submissions for so far, uh, but there will be also that on our website. You'll be able to go in and get a list of like Etsy shops slash you know wherever folks are selling, um, a list of you know AO three accounts where there's queer fix Tumblr accounts band camps for like queer Harry Potter bands, whatever it is, you will be able to find all of that. We're creating, like putting it all together in one central location so that everyone can access it. it's gonna be really dreamy, but it is a community effort. So we need you to tell us where to find the things. We, We, you know, promote yourself. This is the moment to talk yourself up, talk up your friends, talk up strangers that you love on the internet. Send it our way.
1: Yeah, don't feel awkward about it. Just send us an email and we will gush over it appropriately.
0: Yeah. Um, Also, in a similar vein, thank you to the listener who sent us information about uh, Harry Potter TransFest, which is a very cool thing that's happening on Tumblr. If you go to hptransfest.tumblr.com, you can find it. And they are having folks write trans harry potter fanfics it is a time sensitive thing all works are due by march 21st they have sensitivity readers so if you are not trans and you want to participate this is a great place because they have folks who have volunteered to read your works and make sure that they are good to go out into the world and that's very exciting and we encourage all of you to check it out
1: They also accept uh, fan art, I saw, and other types of work. So you should go check it out. Would love for some of our listeners to be able to, you know, get creative with this.
0: Yes. And if you do it, please let us know. We're really excited about, about all of this. Next up. We have some new merch. We have new merch.
1: We have two new stickers that are fucking awesome we have a support trans witches sticker and a hex transphobes sticker
0: they come as a set
1: oh i should probably should have known that they are awesome um you should definitely get some and put them on your car or your bike or your laptop or what have you
0: uh, we also still have some of our Make Harry Potter Even Gay or 2020 stickers available in our shop. They are a limited run, but there are still some available. And all proceeds from those stickers goes to Trans Lifeline. So grab those while you can. Um, yeah, so I don't know how recently we've mentioned it, but we are... Asking folks to help us transcribe our episodes in exchange for access to Patreon content. People have been doing it. It's really rad. We're really excited about it. And you can learn more about that at thegailyprofit.com slash transcriptions. And we want to, we want to say thank you to Caridwin and to Rhiannon for your transcriptions We are just incredibly thankful to you for your hard work and thank you to everyone who's like, Ooh, that sounds exciting. I'm going to go look at it and make that happen.
1: Review thank yous.
0: Yeah. We have two new reviews to say thank you for. So thank you to this game is fun and it is addicting. And to (laughs) Lily Basia for your iTunes reviews. We love it when you write us reviews. Uh, you know, if you listen to the last episode, you know that we're terrible at receiving compliments, but that's why writing us reviews is great because we can receive those compliments from the privacy of our own homes, shielded by a computer screen, and feel great about it without having to climb out a window. <laughs> as demonstrated in the incredible meme that one of our listeners made about our inability to accept compliments. So, which, uh,
1: a plus also to that person because i love brooklyn Nine Nine. so good good use of that crawling out of a window because of feelings it's definitely me
0: <laughs> yeah uh, and I, you may have uh sparked a thing of people making memes about us because not but one day later someone else made a meme making fun of our inability to do geography that's also incredible and um please, everyone, keep making memes about us. Like, that's the coolest fucking thing.
1: Yeah, not a thing that we would have expected, but is delightful.
0: Truly delightful. And uh, with that... The Gaily Prophet operates under the assumption that you have read the books. If you haven't read the books go and read them they're wonderful and then come back to us otherwise you're going to be spoiled and that's your choice in this world gay people love bodies. i'm dead <laughs> we have to stop this podcast Girl,
1: this book causes satanism what is left for us to rant about there is Nothing straight about Plum Velvet. You
0: shouldn't have been drinking when I said that. (laughs) Monocles are impractical, but hot. I don't for a second believe that she is a straight person.
1: I mean, I'm definitely here for bisexual Minerva McGonagall.
0: Let's talk about (laughs) Harry Potter. Hello and welcome to the Gaily Prophet, a podcast where two queer IRL witches reread Harry Potter and talk about it. I am America's favorite griffin dandy, Lark Malachi Gray.
1: And I am griffin dyke Jesse Blount. And today we are talking about chapter seven of Prisoner of Azkaban, the Bogart in the Wardrobe. Wait, have we decided Bogart, right?
0: Bogart? I think it's Bogart. Bogart. Bogart.
1: Bogart. <laughs> okay. We'll figure it out. Anyway. Let's just try uh... to
0: say it differently every time we say it. <laughs>
1: oh no <laughs> cover all of our bases oh no <laughs> uh all right in this chapter Snape is back on his bullshit poor Neville is bullied Malfoy knows too much about Sirius Black when Harry knows nothing and we get more of the boys questioning Hermione's frankly boring use of time travel we see Lupin in action as a teacher the best any of these kids are going to get in their whole Hogwarts career. (laughs) He boosts Neville's confidence, teaches the kids in a thoughtful, supportive, hands-on way, and every reader probably falls in love with him here.
0: Absolutely. And uh, to talk about this very exciting chapter, we have a special guest in our virtual studio, uh, Madison Ford, host of the Beyond the Veil podcast. Welcome to the Gailey Prophet.
2: Thank you guys for having me.
0: Um, Do you want to tell us and our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Um, So
2: like Lark said, I host the Beyond the Veil podcast, which is uh, kind of about the intersection of Harry Potter and mental health. Um, Besides Harry Potter things, um, I do do some other things, although I mostly am working on Harry Potter things in my life. I live in Portland and like to hike and play with my dog and play video games and yeah pretty basic lovely existence here in the
0: pacific northwest <laughs> awesome uh so we ask everyone who comes on the show what their hogwarts house is and i believe you're wearing a gryffindor hat so do we have a fellow gryffindor and yes in
2: the i i wish i had an awesome gryffindor nickname like y'all have to think of one <laughs> um, <laughs>
0: uh yeah gryffindor always have been and probably always will be. So (laughs) awesome. And then the last thing we will ask you is what your Patronus is and how it intersects with your most deeply held identities.
2: Yes. So my Patronus is an Osprey. Um, It's one. I, I mean, Pottermore has it, but I like specifically like went through the, I found out how to cheat to get it because I knew it was that. (laughs) Um, and an osprey is a bird of prey that dives into, dives into water to get uh, fish. And that's always felt, that's such a like, feels really dangerous, right? You know, like, well, the osprey's got to go underwater and thrash against the current and find a way to survive just to sustain themselves. And that feels very true to a lot of my life experiences where, uh, you know, I've had a lot of you know, have had some childhood trauma and experiences like that. So there's always been this just kind of fighting against the elements feeling. Um, but then coming back up, emerging victorious with the fish or the, <laughs> you know, whatever it is, the jewel, the prize, and then having the courage to go back down again and do it again and over and over. And sometimes that's what the my podcast feels like, going yeah. back in with other people to dive into that water. So, yeah, that's that feels very true to how I see myself
0: in that inner strength. So. That's a great answer. That's
2: awesome. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So we are going to get into this episode by starting off with today's headlines. Rumors abound after Harry Potter was caught skinning Draco Malfoy's shrivel fake in public. (laughs) which I just like. <clears throat> <laughs> We're gonna start the front page there, so we turn to the front page where we talk about all the things that don't belong in other, other sections of the newspaper. Remember that one time that J.K. Rowling like straight up wrote dreary slash fic into the text? I my book is a hot fucking mess. Where this scene is, it like says dreary <laughs> really big across the top. <laughs> I'm just gonna. I just used to read it. <clears throat> Potter. You can skin Malfoy's shrivel fig, said Snape, giving Harry the look of loathing he always reserved just for him. Harry took Malfoy's shrivel fig as Ron began trying to repair the damage to the roots he now had to use. Harry skinned the shrivel fig as fast as he could and flung it back across the table at Malfoy without speaking. Malfoy was smirking more broadly than ever. (laughs) Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And then there's like... A page later, Harry says, what, Malfoy? Needs something else skinned. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> it's just too much for me. And I just... <laughs> so, anyway, if anyone wants to, like, illustrate that, that'd be great. We will uh, do something wonderful with it. Oh, <laughs> uh...
1: <laughs> Yeah, wow. So, but... <laughs> I,
0: I mean, I know no one can can top that, but if one of you has a front page, you can feel free to go next.
1: <laughs> I feel like, <laughs> uh, I want I'm gonna, I'm gonna to try to top that, maybe <laughs> unsuccessfully, which is, this chapter totally should have been called The Boggart, The Witch, and The Wardrobe, just saying. Oh, ooh.
0: That's true. <laughs> That's very true.
1: I mean, maybe for obvious reasons not, but that was literally the first thing that
2: came to my mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah perfect mine is definitely doesn't top it but it's i really really would love a sink with a gargoyle mouth where the water comes out of the gargoyle mouth that's i really found myself wanting that after reading this it's so extra (laughs) it's just
1: like i was like reading it i'm like wait what
0: (laughs) i feel like I feel like in uh, the digital age, that's probably something that we can make happen for you. Oh,
2: yeah. 3D print it somewhere. Oh, my God. Yeah, (laughs) clearly.
0: That would definitely be the most affordable option. You know, they have, like, I don't know if people who haven't hung out with kids as much as I have are aware of this. There's, like, things that are to make it so that if your kid hits, like, their head on the bathtub spigot, it doesn't hurt. But they're all, like, animal-shaped, so there's, like ducks and lizards and whatever and it's just like a a rubber silicone thing that fits over the bathtub spigot so i feel like that means that there is already the technology in place for you to have sort of a retrofitted gargoyle mouth at least bathtub mm-hmm. situation so definitely worth investigating definitely
1: yeah i want i want that i want that for your life yeah <laughs> <laughs>
2: like just like a chemistry lab like that's how I always see the potions classroom and then that they have this like masonry gargoyle just spewing water I don't know it there are so many things that are described in the, the books that I think just need to happen in real life as far as the amazing gothic magical decor goes
0: so I feel like that That detail also makes it so that we under, I mean, besides the fact that like Snape is very extra and would insist on being in the dungeons anyway, but like, it doesn't make sense to have like a chemistry class in a windowless room. That's really bad planning. And this is like, oh, of course, Snape insists on being in the room with the gargoyle sinks. Right? (laughs) Like, that's the whole reason they're down there.
1: Yeah, definitely some other Slytherin-like potions prefectures. Like, oh no, we need it to be gargoyles for the for the the sink mouths, the spigot mouths.
0: Yeah, totally.
1: It's not a snake, so it's very impressive. If someone's like, at least let's cut on the snake part, <laughs> yeah. it'll, be, it'll be a gargoyle.
0: Yeah.
2: Don't, some of the potions have to sit beneath moonlight, so they would have to take the potions from the dungeons into wherever they could find them we'll find windows, so
0: that's extra work. That's true. They're heavy-ass pewter-fucking-cauldrons. <sighs> Darn Snape.
1: Maybe you can, like, levitate them out, I don't know.
0: <laughs> uh, just so... My next one is just that we have more very good uh, Time Turner weaving into the text happening here. It's just, yeah, it's really... After going through the first two books that are just like so full of gaping plot holes the mastery of the way that this plot line is being laid is such a breath of fresh air honestly it just makes me really happy
1: (laughs) yeah and i feel like even like as a when i was first reading the series this book is definitely the level up when it's like oh this is getting like for real
2: actually good (laughs) (laughs) definitely agree there's something about it's interesting because you can see a lot of complaints about the time turner like if you're reading online but in time travel in general and how does it work but it's as far as the plot goes it is so perfectly laid out where you know Hermione bustling from class to class and uh it's it's really seamless as long as you are okay with whatever time travel mechanics are being used in the series. And I think we just have to, I'm of the mind that you just have to accept it if it's time travel, because
0: (laughs) 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 how does it work? I don't know. (laughs) So I think actually this is going to come out in uh, January, as is our uh, Patreon episode of the editor's. Cut about time travel, so it's very fitting.
1: Yes.
0: Um, if anybody wants to hear Jesse and I talk for like an hour and a half about our thoughts and feelings about time travel. Uh, which that's available on Patreon.
1: It like could have been longer. I like wasn't as prepared as I could have been for that conversation. Same. So like
0: <laughs> I've thought of like seventy-five <laughs> points that I meant to make since we recorded it, so we might have to make a part
1: two. Yeah. I was like, I should have came with my references so then we could have like Anyway, yeah. Maybe at the end of the book when we talk when we talk about the time travel mechanics of the time turner. Uh is it my turn? It is. So I have a question which is do we think that Malfoy is actually still injured or is he just being a complete drama queen? He is not injured. No. Okay, yeah. but <laughs> I want to I want to bring up the point that like cuz it seems weird that everyone's still buying it if it's like pretty common knowledge that, like, you can basically heal a flesh wound in, like, two seconds. Who is buying it? I mean, quote buying it in quotation marks, which is the Slytherins fucking letting Malfoy just, you know, moan in pain, and they're like, I guess we're accommodating you now.
0: <sighs> I mean, I think Snape also is really into it, Slash also really wants Hagrid to get fired. Mm-hmm. I don't think the other teachers are buying it, but I do think the other teachers are scared of Malfoy's dad, so. Yeah.
2: He's still a school governor at this point. so no, it's he was all... sacked in the last book. Oh, that's right.
1: I do have a point for that later. Um, but, yes. But, the, but my other thing I was thinking about it is, I mean, animal claws are also notoriously, like, gross and full of weird bacteria and stuff. And I'm like, if you were actually attacked by a hippogriff, that might be a kind of a gross wound.
0: Yeah, but, like, Madame Humphrey can, like, regrow your bones overnight like there's n- Malfoy is not hurt anymore <laughs> it's just like of all the things that could happen to children at Hogwarts like that is not one that took more than half a second to fix
2: that's fair they don't have any I don't think hippogriffs have like magical properties the same way that like a dragon bite would or something there's no right. extra venom or poison or anything like that yeah, yeah. I have A basic shout out to all of the squeamish kids in potions class who are chopping up caterpillars and rats and all this nasty stuff. I can't imagine I had to sit out uh, like dissecting frogs in school. So So. having to just sit there and take apart beetles. So just acknowledging that that must really suck (laughs) for those kids.
0: This is the perfect opportunity. And I'm really sad that I can't play it for you two right now, but um I will stick it in the episode here. We have uh, listeners who have a Harry Potter, like, ska band that wrote a song about being a vegan at Hogwarts <laughs> and, like, how terrible potions class would be. And I was like, I am going to deploy this at the perfect moment, and you have just provided us the perfect moment, so that will... That will be in the episode right now. (laughs) Mr. Potter. Our new celebrity. Where, Mr. Potter, would you look if I asked you to find me a bezoar?
1: Can you tell me what a bezoar is? Floating. I made it out of soya. A combination of mince and protein. And my potion don't work quite the same.
2: But I'd rather that than any animals be in pain. Just leave them out I think that's a pretty good show. So replace them with a unicorn
0: It's a vegan-friendly meat-free horn And it must have had some magic in Because potion really started bubbling And a potion worked better than all the rest No, no animals was hurting our potion It's great. Uh, We're all very happy that we just listened to it, I promise. (laughs) Love it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, my front page is really short, so this is my last one, which is uh, just sort of our chronic Ron being a dick to Hermione watch at the end of this chapter. Fuck off, Ron. (laughs) It's So
2: his relationship with her is so frustrating because there's that, you feel the like, wait, isn't there something's going on with her, right? But he's still such an ass the whole time instead of just being like, can you tell me what's wrong? Like, I feel like something's going on with you, but Ron's not going to communicate like that, especially not as a 12, 13-year-old kid. So it's just sad. There's so many opportunities for good, healthy communication, and Ron never takes them. <laughs> so.
0: Yeah, but he takes every opportunity to, like, dig at her. yeah. So I think the line that I'm thinking of is like suggesting that her bagger would be a piece of homework that got a nine out of ten. Mm-hmm. And it's like, which is like a serious insecurity for Hermione. Like a piece of homework that got a nine out of ten would legitimately like ruin her entire day. Yeah. And so that quote-unquote joke, as light as it might sound is actually very cruel i just always have luna like in my ear calling ron mean in book <laughs> five whenever it is that that happens
1: i think it is book five
0: speaking speaking truths <laughs> we all need to hear
1: that is what luna is good for yeah what was sirius doing when he got spotted somewhere near hogwarts as a human like, is he stealing clothes? Did he, like, comically steal a pie out of a windowsill? Like, <laughs> what were like, what were you that doing? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, he was in a muggle area. A, a muggle spotted him, yeah. So maybe he just, like, didn't think that he needed to be a dog at that moment because he wasn't, like, around mm-hmm. witches. He maybe didn't know that they had, like, put out the all-points bulletin to the muggles.
1: That's fair. That would be an understandable thing to be like,
2: muggles don't know who I am right am I making this up or was at some point was he trying to intentionally be seen maybe was that when he was showing himself as a dog to Harry back in Privet Drive or not sure I feel like I heard that somewhere but I don't know if it's true
0: I so I think that the line of him saying like he let some muggles see him is actually after the end of this book when he's on the run And Mm -hmm. so he, like, go, you know, presumably apparates or whatever somewhere that's away from where he's going to go hide and, like, let someone see him and then goes elsewhere. That makes sense. Does that sound right?
2: Yeah, that makes sense. uh, I'm nowhere near Hogwarts and, yeah. Right. Uh,
1: All right. And then the last point is, straight up, uh, Madam Longbottom's stuffed vulture witch hat is awesome (laughs) and goth and I need it because... (laughs) What?
0: <laughs> See, this is why the one that you texted me yesterday wasn't good enough for you. You need one with a taxidermied <laughs> bird on it.
1: <laughs> I would definitely wear a witch hat with a taxidermied bird on it. Yeah, it's just it's just so goth. But she, she's probably had it for like 40 years and I'm like, I love you. Yeah. I don't actually because you suck, but your hat is amazing.
0: <laughs> yeah, you can like, I mean, how many times have we loved someone's aesthetic without loving the person on this show. It's, uh, but can we just, vultures are so big and so heavy. Is there like (laughs) a charm on this hat to make it not, you know?
1: Well, you know, when you taxidermy a thing, you take out all the inside bits. So whatever it's stuffed with, whatever magical taxidermy looks like, I don't know. Uh, it's probably not that heavy, but yeah, it has, but like vultures are like, they're big birds. (laughs) Yeah. Even like a small, vulture i guess i don't know what the smallest vulture is but in general they're pretty big parts
2: yeah yeah and this is something that is worn often enough to be like a what does your grandmother wear this this is worn like semi-frequently that's her
0: going out look (laughs) i was thinking about that i was like neville's gran is like a cartoon character like she opens her closet and it's all like ankle length <laughs> green dresses and like box fur <laughs> coats. coats like, she just only wears the one thing yep <gasps> welcome to the education section where we talk about this goddamn school but also sometimes we do new teacher profiles like today where we're going to be talking about remus j lupin new defense against the dark arts teacher first competent teacher we have seen at hogwarts
1: And like, like I said in the summary, I would argue one of the few competent teachers any of these kids get
0: in the entirety of their school career, which is a tragedy. Just him and Fake Moody, I think. Yeah. Which is really
1: fucked up. But like, okay, but even like, I feel like even in general, outside of just like the rotating cast of Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher, it's like McGonagall and Sprout and... Oh, Sprout's uh,
0: a legit teacher.
1: And then, oh my god, I'm blanking out on his name. Who just charms? Flitwick. Flitwick. Those three seem to be very consistent teachers. So you have five competent teachers, and then a variety of... <laughs>
0: I disagree about McGonagall. I think because that she of... does her... I think that she, she conducts her class backwards. Like, they attempt to do a thing and then they go read about the thing is, like, not Mm. how you teach that's like they need to have like lecture and then practical and there is never lecture i do agree that sprout and flitwick seem to be good teachers and Grubbly plank
1: and Grubbly plank yes
0: that is still a
1: low amount of teachers so low for being in this school for seven years yeah it's like how do any of these kids function in (laughs) witching society with this level of education i mean but do they point (laughs) that's a good point anyway yes that's definitely top number one defense against the dark arts teacher ever so
0: yeah i mean so many so i mean whatever jump in whenever i just have like a list of things that i love about his teaching style starting Mm. with the fact that he learned everyone's names before the first day of class yeah like no one has ever done that before. Great mm. job, Lupin. It was a really distinct
2: moment in the text, too. Reading back, it was like, how do you know Parvati's name already? Have you just taken the time because you're thoughtful and kind and, okay, not used to this and awkward, but...
0: Yeah, I think uh, I think the episode where we talked about it hasn't come out yet, so you wouldn't have heard it, but when we first meet him, we noticed that his suitcase that's marked Professor R.J. Lupin is um, old and battered and the letters are peeling, which means that despite the fact that he has never been a professor before, he has been carrying around something that says he's a professor for many years. Which is like so tragic but also it's like this is his dream. Of course he was like, I'm memorizing every student in this school's name. Like I got a yearbook I know I'm going to do this <laughs> right.
2: Ow. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. He's such a I wrote it. What a cuz with the first lesson of the day, like first time we meet, okay, we're going to have a lesson on Boggarts. Now everyone think about your deepest darkest fear and we're going to talk about this as a class and what a like I mean, it feels like a risk like as a teacher, right? Like that could go really wrong, but I feel like it's done in a way that actually turns out pretty well where despite the fact that everyone's it's like the vulnerability makes it succeed instead of puts everybody in a bad vulnerable position,
0: if that makes sense. Yeah, uh Lupin's a Pisces so i feel like and that is like exemplified (laughs) in the fact that he made this choice for the first class and also makes me really excited to release our um lupin is a pisces meme come pisces season
1: and i also want to point out is that like that is definitely like a lot for the first day Mm -hmm. but it's like it's okay because he's just so supportive and like praising of the students that you like by the time all of the kids get to the staff room and see and like seeing him defend Neville against Snape and you're like, number one, thank God someone's defending Neville. Right. Thank you. And then you're like you're already like, oh okay, like you care about the kids in a way that like most of the teachers, especially in comparison to Snape, who gives negative fucks about any of the kids. <laughs> uh just is such it's just such a like stark comparison. You're like, oh my God, Lupin, yes, thank mm-hmm. you.
0: Yeah, and even just on, like, the level of, like, uh, his actual teaching style, this is the first time we have ever seen someone have kids, A, learn about what they're about to do before doing it, and B, practice before being confronted with the actual thing that they're going to do, which is the lowest possible bar, and yet we have never seen this take place before.
1: (laughs) Especially in a class like Defense Against the Dark Arts, where it's like, you should be learning like practical applications of this subject. Mm-hmm. And it's just shocking. It's like you let the kids think it through and you support them in learning the subject and they do really good. Who knew? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Unheard of. It reminded me a little bit of and obviously this is way far ahead, but the difference in um, Harry's work in Half-Blood Prince when uh, Snape is not teaching potions anymore, it just, when you have a teacher, and, you know, we could probably talk about Slughorn as a teacher and as a character, but without the looming bat-like presence of Snape, Harry is actually able to learn from Snape himself through... You know, obviously, spoiler alert, but (laughs) through the Half Blood Prince's writings, and just to see the few times that there is any kind of competent or, um, yeah, any any kind of competent teaching that happens, and everybody is just able—it's not just Hermione who excels; it's everybody. So it's uh, just—I could go on about Dumbledore and what the heck is he doing up there in the headmaster's office with everything, but
0: (laughs) he's building an army. (laughs) It's <laughs> yep. like i don't care about your teaching abilities are you useful to me yes no it's not how you run a school <laughs> no. uh okay anything else about lupin
1: i have i have one more thing which i just want to point out another sort of masterfully weaving in foreshadowing about lupin being one of the marauders in which we see Lupin be a little shit back to peeves Mm -hmm. and you don't. And like the way people respond to peeves beforehand has been like frustration and anger and annoyance. And like Lupin's like, LOL, peeves, fuck you (laughs) in a very like gentle and comical way. And you're just like, whoa, dude. (laughs) Also, why do you need a spell or a jinx to like shoot a thing into someone's nose? Come on.
0: With the force (laughs) of a, bullet like he just <laughs> taught these children another way to murder each other which is quite questionable uh it's very funny but i definitely read it and was like is that a quote-unquote useful little spell to shoot things at other people with the force of a bullet like
1: listen if they, if they would have remembered that for whenever they're facing death eaters it could have been an easy way they, they have nose holes in the masks, probably
0: that's true do you think it only goes up a nose which is a great path to a brain so you know
1: it's hard to tell because i can't tell if the spell is working on the actual it's hard to say is it like moving an object like moving something like the gum out of the keyhole into a nostril or is it like you're like directing i don't know
0: what if the spell actually like makes ghosts uh, like magnetic essentially (laughs) like loose objects around them go flying at them and so it is not harmful to people
1: that seems like a thing that Sirius would have done as a kid which is like make things like stick to the ghosts
2: yeah Mm -hmm. it feels a very like marauders (laughs) spell I don't know if they made it or not
0: but it feels like they could have (laughs) it definitely does (sighs) Oh, man. So now I feel like I have to put in the sound clip of, like, my literal favorite part ever of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which is the episode where Andrew is, like, telling the stories of things and, like, rewriting all of them. And he's, like it makes us super magnetic and then oh jonathan's like but what if we're wearing belts and he's like in my plan we are beltless anyway <laughs> i will literally just like go back and watch him say in my plan we are beltless like 25 times on repeat because of the delivery i i
1: i think i, I think you should just have a recording of that for such an occasion like this in my plan we are beltless
0: Welcome to the politics section, where we talk about things that are fucked up. Should
1: we do all of our not Snape stuff first and then go into Snape?
0: Sure, I literally Just... have one thing that's not about Snape, so.
1: <laughs> I also have one thing that's not about Snape.
0: Great, why don't you go first?
1: Malfoy mentions about his dad talking to the School of Governors about Hagrid and Buckbeak, which is like... He literally, like, in the last book, threatened everyone's families in order to try to, you know, get Dumbledore out. Why the fuck are they still listening to him?
0: Besides money and blood purity? Privilege? Blood privilege? I feel like he probably um, gives, like, an enormous endowment Mm -hmm. to Hogwarts and so is, like, still has a lot of pull with them even if they were like got brave enough to sack him he still is like but like technically i own like a third of the school so
2: (laughs) (sighs) on that i was there was this moment i think it's when it's when they're chopping everything up for malfoy and ron and harry are getting increasingly furious as malfoy is taunting them and it's kind of a a frustration just I had where you have somebody who is like such a shit. Malfoy is such a shit, and he and everything that he represents, especially at this point, even to them, how they can see how, you know, he is extremely prejudiced against muggle born people. And At this point, I just, I felt this frustration for them, like in this moment, obviously all they want to do is just punch him in the face, right? Like someone who, who, and he probably kind of deserves it a little bit, but at what point when you are fighting somebody like that who represents and practices so much, uh, you know, ignorance and racism and at what point have you turned the tables, you know? At what point have you, I hate to use the phrase like lowered yourself to their level, but I just, at that moment, I felt really frustrated. Like if I were in that situation, I wouldn't know what to do because you have that urge to really fight someone off, but you don't want to practice the things that you hate. So I just, I really felt that at that moment for some reason. I'm not sure why.
0: I mean, I think, for really good reason like they're being bullied by their teacher into doing something that isn't actually necessary for (sighs) someone that is bullying them like it's a pretty profound like Snape Draco ganging up to create a like profoundly unfair situation Mm -hmm. uh, moment so (sighs) yeah and there there is no there is no, like, higher ground option, I think. Is that, like, sort of what you were getting at? Because it's not like they can, like, go to McGonagall and be like, this thing happened. And right. she'd be like, yep, that sucks. Welcome to Hogwarts, kid. <laughs> like...
2: Exactly. There's no way, there's no method for them to... Because this is one of the points that I had was, like, how far will Dumbledore let Snape go when he's, he's you know, gonna kill a kid's pet? Like, it just... Where is the line? Where is the line before Dumbledore says, "No, you know what, Severus? I don't care anymore. This is too messed up." I just I don't know where that line is for Dumbledore. I don't think that line exists.
0: Absolutely not.
2: Which is
1: a reason why Dumbledore should not be in charge of children either. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. Snape should never be around children. I think probably every adult in Snape's life can att- can attest to that. Mm-hmm. Dumbledore should never be in charge of anyone, let alone children. Mm-mm. And also, an adult as damaged as Snape, really. Yeah. So, which uh, which doesn't absolve Snape from the fucked up shit that happens in this chapter because this is fucked up. Yeah. Fucking quit, dude. Move to another country. Like, d- why? Just, <laughs> just no. Like, you are abusing thirteen-year-old children.
0: He sure is. It's really, and this is. Is this, the wor- this is the worst we've seen it, right? Like, we've never seen him, like, literally going to kill a student's pet before. This is no. beyond anything we've witnessed from him previously. Yeah.
1: Is it this book or the next book with the thing with Hermione's teeth? The next That's the next one. Book.
0: Okay. Right, because she, she has to have her uh, glow up before her big date with Victor Crumb, which includes getting her teeth fixed, so... <laughs>
1: which I'm sure her teeth were fine but we'll get there but it's like
0: Um, do we just want to like make a list of the terrible things that Snape does in this chapter besides (laughs) try like literally attempting to kill Neville's toad yeah Uh, my first one is the part where he says to Hermione I don't remember asking you to show off when she offers to help another student
2: that's it i've had a teacher say that before like i've been through i've had a snape like that before and having that empathic moment for hermione like the deep embarrassment and shame that you feel as a child when a teacher says that to you like what oh it just makes me so mad i don't have words for it it's mm. and how he and like oh go ahead no, no, you keep going. Well, isn't then he, then he takes points off when she does help him. Like it takes points away for getting the potion right. It just how <sighs> under what logic
0: and the 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 premise of like you're showing off. It's like no, literally she would be like making your job easier. If you were attempting to do your job, it would include like helping the kid that's falling behind. So, like, if another student who's, like, already finished is, like, actually, I can help, it's, like, great, then I can teach the rest of the class while you literally make my job easier. Like, (laughs) fuck off, she's not showing off, she's helping you.
1: Right, and, like, good enough for Hermione for being, like, okay, whatever, fuck you, Snape, and
2: continuing to help Neville. Yeah,
0: Yeah. I mean, she's, like, very worried for Trevor. She always has been. Yeah.
2: Yeah. (laughs) That's how we meet her. Oh my god. (laughs) Mm. Uh,
0: Tears. Leaving that class or is there anything else that happens in that classroom?
1: I think my other part is actually
0: later. In the student lounge. Yes. Yeah. When he rips Neville apart in front of Mm -hmm. everyone and a teacher.
2: Yeah. The only other thing from that class that I had written down was just what a, what a strange and chaotic hour this is for Harry, where he has Draco coming in and then, you know, talking shit about Hagrid, Neville's getting bullied by Snape, Snape's being an asshole, Snape's being an asshole to Hermione, and then someone mentions that Sirius has been found out, just the the absolute whirlwind of sitting through that classroom, the, that just sounds... I feel so bad for him in this moment. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. I want it to be like Seamus cool it for after the class. Like, what's going on already? We don't need this.
2: Read the room, Seamus.
0: <laughs> <sighs> yeah, Jesse, why don't you um, why don't you kick us off with this Snape in the teachers' lounge thing?
1: Uh, so my thing is actually after Snape leaves. So I don't know if you if any of y'all want to talk about him being the worst still. I don't think I
2: have. It's it's not I was more curious about this moment where would Snape have said that and that we've never had this like experience where we see Snape bullying Neville in front of another teacher before. Is that just because they have this personal relationship that Snape doesn't have with any of the other teachers because he didn't go to school and interact with the, you know, like, cause Lupin's one of the marauders. So is that some kind of, I don't know. I know that he doesn't like Lupin, but is there still a special relationship there because of their past and their history?
1: I do. I did feel like it did seem like a strange choice to say all that to Lupin. Mm-hmm. Cause it's like. Like, what did you think was going to happen?
0: Yeah. I feel, honestly, like he would say it to almost any of the new Defense Against the Dark Arts teachers. It's like, as long as they're not, there's no established relationship where he, like, knows how they would react. And also they're, you know, always sort of... At, they're They're on the least solid footing of any of the... Teachers.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And so, even if they're like, wow, that was super fucked up, like that new teacher is like, is this just the way that things are? Like, how do I, who would I report this to? Like, what steps do I have to take? And that's a really uncomfortable place to be in a new workplace. And so, I think Snape feels a sense of safety in being able to do this to Neville because Lupin is new. And also, and I think there's the added benefit with Lupin of like, if he goes to Dumbledore about what Snape said, it will look like he's just being shitty about this person that he hated in high school.
2: Yeah, that's true. The only time I can think of anything similar, I guess, was during Chamber of Secrets when he says something like, you know, uh, don't, no, no, don't have Ron do it, or I don't remember if he says it about Ron or Neville, but during the dueling club, when he's talking to Lockhart about, like, oh, no, we can't have him dueling against him because then they'll have to send them back what's left of them in a matchbox or something like that. I
0: think that is Neville. Again. Which also is, like, you know, Harry is so insistent throughout the entire series that Snape singles him out above all other students, and it is, like, my dude, that is so far from true. Like, look at what he is doing. To poor, sweet, tender Neville. Like, it is it just it just hurts so much to read their exchanges.
2: That Neville, that Snape is his worst fear. His worst fear. Which
1: is like There is so many things that could be Neville's worst fear, like justifiably things that could be his worst fear, and that it is Snape is just the most fucked thing. It's like top three fucked things this entire book, honestly. Yeah, Mm -hmm. like we're just saying a lot. A lot of things happen this book that are awful, but like that is like the third most fucked thing that happens in this book.
0: Yeah, you're right. I do have a little, like, uh, a side sad face for the fact that uh, Neville's response when Lupin is like, what does your grandmother wear? And he's like, I don't want the Bogart to be her either. Like, that level of... Uh, when it could be. It could very well have been her right, his grandmother. Right, exactly. Like, he... that The fact that he carries that much fear of, like, his only caretaker is also just, like... You know, give Neville a basket of kittens, as we say. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I feel like if it would have actually been his grandmother, like
2: the thing with Snape is
1: like it's humorous. I'm in figure quotation marks because I actually I think I feel like actually a lot of feelings about that. But like if it was his grandmother, it would be just so like more tragic and such a deeper fear that it's like how there's not there's nothing there's no nothing in place. To, like, help Neville with that pain and, like, hurt. Yeah. And it's just like, uh poor Neville. Yep. Uh, I just want to hug him.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if this is political, but I had one more thing that happened where... It's written in as just a almost a throwaway line where they're all watching to see, is, is Trevor going to die from drinking this potion? It's like, all the Gryffindors looked nervous and all of the Slytherins looked excited. And I do not accept that all of the Slytherins were sitting there just like, you know, excited. You know, ha ha ha, is this animal going to die? I just, I do not accept that at all. It, there is no way that every single person in Slytherin house was like, That not all of them would feel the same way about Snape. I just, I fundamentally disagree and know that it's kind of told from Harry's perspective, but I just, I disagree with it and think that it's written wrong.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think we talk a decent amount about the distinction between like what it would mean to be in Slytherin IRL versus Mm -hmm. like what we get written in the books, which is so narrow and across the whole series right and it's one of those things like so many things that jk Rowling decided to like try to make up for with like cursed child where she was like oh it's like slytherins are fine see like i'll sort this kid into slytherin but it's like no you literally wrote zero slytherin staying for the final battle of hogwarts like you can't go back from that you (laughs) you did that it's done um so I feel like we I don't know, Jesse, we like we read it as like, okay, we just accept the way that the Slytherins are in the book and the things like this, where it's like, okay, fine, that's what happened, but also like It's you know just garbage, also. Like that's not really how that works.
1: Yeah. I, I what I what I actually think is in this specific scene is that I think that it is correct that like not all the Slytherins present really want to see. Snape kill some other kids like pet but i think that i feel like in the years of the slytherin house especially in like harry's grade, i feel like you kind of have to go along with this mm. or else you know whatever sort of bullshit and fighting hierarchy happens in the slytherin house you would be at the bottom yeah. Which i 100 be- which i believe that none of them want definitely none of the slytherins want to be at the bottom of, of the slytherin hierarchy Like, I'm sure Blaze doesn't give a fuck about this, but he doesn't want to be the only person not standing around, at least looking somewhat interested. He's probably rolling his eyes at someone else in the class, but Harry's not paying attention to that. Right. Right. So, like, he's not going to see Blaze just being like, "Oh, again. Can we just stop with the bullying? I'm trying to learn. Jesus. So. Yeah.
0: No, that sounds right. Yeah.
1: So, and, I'm, and I and I think that's even a way to sort of, I mean, in no way do I want to be generous to JKR, but I think if you would think about it realistically, that I think probably the level of like peer pressure and like conformity that you'd have to be in Slytherin is that even if you want to stay for the final battle, it's probably so ingrained for you to be like, I got to do what the other Slytherins are doing or else I can't get a job when I graduate or I'm going to, find someone poisoned my juice at lunch or whatever the fuck shit happens Slytherin Then I think they would just like, you just leave anyway. Cause you're like, well, yeah, mm-hmm. like there's not much dissension in Slytherin. Like we don't ever see really any Slytherins. We don't see the one weird, like Luna S Slytherin, yeah. you know, there probably is, but we just don't see it, which could be of course, Harry's very narrow minded view of the Slytherins. But it could just be that they basically close ranks about, you know, what they want people to see the Slytherin house as like a unified group of, I mean, at this point, fascists, unfortunately, but.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah,
2: I like the nuance there that, that allows you to read the text without bashing your head against the wall the whole day, but still, you know, uh it acknowledges where the issues may be. Yeah, I like that.
1: I mean, there's still a ton of, like, racist bullies and yeah. Slytherin, unfortunately. <laughs> but, yeah. I don't know. It's I think, it, I think it just will be hard to not be that and sort it into Slytherin. Mm-hmm. Which is why the house system is fucked up. Anyway, that's what it all goes back to. <laughs> it really is. Alright,
0: yeah. uh, is there anything else in politics?
2: I had one about... Um... It's, it's about Lupin and how he comes into the classroom and Harry notices that he looks much healthier than last time, which partially probably has to do with the lunar cycle a little bit. But he, he says it like, like he's had a few square meals since he gets into Hogwarts and just how tragic it is that first of all that Harry's in this perspective that he can recognize oh Lupin hasn't eaten he needs to eat that he as a young child has had that experience enough to relate to it and then that you know Lupin's experience as a werewolf in society means that there probably are times when it's hard to get a meal and just that that's sad and fucked up and terrible and I wish that we got to see a world, a wizarding world, where werewolves would stop facing that kind of experience in their day to day life and prejudice. Sad and poopy.
0: Yeah, (laughs) it sure is.
1: I wonder if, though, if that is another way that Harry considers Lupin to be a safe person to go to about his feelings, Mm -hmm. is being like, I recognize something about your situation, which feels familiar to me. So therefore there's already this level of, I don't want to say like trust, but sort of like, like seeking like, I guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I guess I just don't know how I feel about this chapter sort of like making Neville's fear of Snape humorous by like putting him in this idea of like his grandmother's clothes.
0: From, from, like, a, like, a homophobic perspective. A little
1: bit. It's like, it's like a, it feels a little homophobic. But, like, not like,
0: I don't know. But not enough where it's just like. I feel, I guess, in my mind, I would normally say yes, but I feel like because Snape is a goth, like... (laughs) (laughs) Anytime you take someone with, like, Snape's 100% of the time aesthetic and put him in... Like, it could just as easily have been, like, the robes that, like, Ludo Bagman wears and still would have been, like, so outlandishly different from what he normally wears that it would be funny. So I think... I think in this case, it's not that. I don't know. It feels
2: significant that the clothes are his grandmother's clothes, like that they're supposed to be something almost familiar to him so that they draw up an emotion. And it it definitely sat weird for me too. Just it's the first time I've read this in a while. So it was like, this is, you know, because I think there's that, that moment of a flavor where you're like, oh, this, this might lead somewhere. I don't want it to lead, but it it's those two extremes like snape being the goth and then neville's grandma being
0: honestly uh, also goth but in a fully different way. <laughs> right. yeah it's, it's just basically a different kind of, i
1: think maybe it's, and i feel like part of it is why like i wasn't sure is because like just the hat with the vulture is so ridiculous and like considering that like everyone wears ridiculous hats in this world but like the idea of like snape in a funny like you know, taxidermied, vultured, like, witch hat is just so funny and ridiculous that I'm kind of like, I don't know.
0: I I think maybe what made it not, makes it not feel weird to me is that Lupin was ready with this. Like, and again, Lupin's a Pisces. He's psychic as fuck. Like, he probably was, he knew. Like, he knew exactly what Neville's answer was going to be and he had a plan in place for Neville with this. And I almost feel like maybe his intention was like helping Neville confront like his two worst fears at mm. the same time. Because you literally I think could reverse this had his grand come up as Oh his no, worst definitely. Fear. So it I, I think this might be like very Neville specific of just like Yeah, but you know, what if we just like mash them together and then they look real silly
1: <laughs> look how silly both of your fears are right okay i just i just it it felt weird for me to not to bring that up but no like, i think okay.
0: i'm really glad that we had this conversation yeah all right welcome to advertisements where we ask you for money and make you laugh <clears> hmm <throat> Calling all lovers of hilarious queer witchy content. Do you wish that you could surround yourself in a humorous yet ruthless rainbow goth blankie and block out the rest of the world? If so, the Gaily Prophet Patreon is the place for you. Check it out at patreon.com slash thegailyprophet. Other ways you can support us are by telling your friends about us, leaving us iTunes reviews, buying our merch at thegailyprophet.com, or by making a one-time donation on our website. Next up, we have an ad for beyond the veil are you fucked up do you love harry potter do you enjoy hearing other fucked up people talk about harry potter of course you do so be sure to check out beyond the veil the podcast that explores the connection between harry potter and mental health a great place to start would be episode 28 where you can hear your favorite fucked up gryffindors talk about trauma intersectionality and why jk rowling is trash Check it out at mugglenet.com, on Twitter at beyondtheveilmn, and on Instagram at beyondtheveilpod, links to all of which will be in our show notes.
1: What an excellent ad. Yes. So good. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: and ah. lastly, we have our ad for this chapter. <sighs> Guys, I'm going to try so hard to pull this off in one take. <clears throat> I believe in you. You got this. You can do it. Do you wish the witching world had therapy? What if you could get the next best thing? At Lupin and Bogart, we offer top-notch exposure therapy for only a fraction of the price of muggle counseling. Follow our tried and tested treatment plan to come face-to-face with your worst nightmares and walk away laughing. Call now to sign up participate at your own risk results not guaranteed lupin and Bogart are not responsible for any accidents injury or negative consequences of participation always ask your doctor before trying a new treatment oh wait you can't that's really too bad
1: (laughs) (laughs) that was amazing thank you and you gotta know what take
0: that was (laughs) oh my god (laughs) i rehearsed a lot to be able to get through (laughs) the very fast part (laughs) it shows thanks
1: good job thank you
0: all right so let's go talk about boggarts uh welcome to the health and science section where we talk about things that are loosely related to health and or science
1: today's question what the fuck is a boggart (laughs) who knows uh, what we do know about them, they don't have bones, they can shapeshift, they're telepathic, and don't like being laughed at.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's mortal for them. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: they are clearly some kind of weird psychic land sathlopod, is what I think. Yeah, I just say uh, magical land octopi. Has one crammed itself into a grandfather clock, which
0: not a whole lot of room Mm-mm. necessarily. <laughs> so I always imagine them as like incorporeal, like black wispy demony thing. Which am I thinking of like maybe the Black Cauldron? There some like cartoon <laughs> scary movie where mm-hmm. there's like a creepy Thing that can like just turn into like a wisp of smoke that like sneaks into your space
2: i think i know what I you're talking
0: like about i think that's from the black cauldron but
2: oh that's creepy i always pictured it as something in my head and, it, and it's not it's probably not like this at all It just it was so creepy i it felt like something like the babadook you know just like something scary and when you can't see it you know it's like a shadow just kind of Mm -hmm. something you can't see but it's interesting how sound like because laughter is clearly what will hurt a bogger and it makes me think how the crowing of the rooster will kill a basilisk in this strange like deadliness of sound for magical creatures i hadn't thought
0: about that before I do want to reverse, though. Jesse, I want to accept your premise, but I want to replace it with a cuttlefish because they have the best uh, camouflage abilities in the animal kingdom. And that's, like, imagining it as, like, a creepy slithery creature is more fun than the spooky thing that I was imagining. So (laughs) I'm, I'm saying yes to land cuttlefish, which... Makes me have the question, do they have the, the beak part of
1: <laughs> this? Let's see. I don't know. Cause I picked, I picked octopus because there's tons of videos and stories of octopuses squeezing their entire bodies through like the smallest spaces. Cuttle, cuttlefish are the same. I mean, I guess they could still have, they're not fish.
0: They're in the same family as octopi. Mm-hmm.
1: But I don't see why they couldn't have beaks. Like, what do they eat? Like, is the Bogart part protection? Or is it part of how they, like, hunt? Because, like, when it, like what happens when a Bogart gets you?
0: Or Why don't we know the answer you? to yeah. this most fundamental question <laughs> of why we need to fight Bogarts?
2: <laughs> Maybe is it, like... Maybe with a Boggart, it's like a Boggart isn't actually going to just come out and attack you and seek you out. Like most, like you think of something like a snake. Like snakes aren't here to just like follow us around and kill us. But if Boggarts will like, you know, if they like the dark crawl spaces and you open one up for the first time and then all of a sudden there's your worst fear. So maybe it's for situations like that where you're caught off guard, you have to know how to dispose of it, get rid of it somehow It's got to be an ethical way to get rid of a boggart without just killing it, maybe. But I don't know, though. Maybe they're pests or... We don't have enough information about them.
0: I mean, I feel like the fact that they turn into your worst fear makes it reasonable that people are like, I would like you the fuck out of my house. (laughs) But I agree. Like, maybe they can't hurt you aside from the mental anguish that they can (laughs) inflict upon you.
1: Right. Okay, but the fact that so one moved into Hogwarts. So they're clearly seeking people mm. out. What if they're like bedbugs or just like, they just co-evolved with people to be like some kind of parasitic, whatever, whatever.
2: Like Peeves. Cause Peeves was created because of Hogwarts and all the magic and all the people that are there all the time. So maybe they're a similar mm, creation that just comes when there's lots of magical people around. Then you get, I mean, what did you t- say more?
0: What about Peeves?
2: I, from what I understand Peeves was like created was a spirit of chaos that came about because of because Hogwarts was created. So you have all of these like different spells that are going on and like a magical building with moving staircases and um so Peeves was created because of all of the he's like a cocktail of all of the weird magic leftover stuff that comes when you just have a castle full of wizards and witches. Um, I could be wrong on that, but if that is right, then maybe it would be a similar thing for Bogarts, where where there are humans and wizards and witches, then there are different kinds of spirits or poltergeist type beings that get created as like a byproduct of excess magical energy.
0: So if you have like enough people in a space, their like collective shared trauma will manifest in... The creation of a boggart
1: which would explain why there's one at Grimall Place in book six. There should be like (laughs)
0: seventy-five bogarts at Grimall Place. (laughs) (laughs) You like can't turn a corner without running into one.
1: (laughs) I mean, there might be. They hide. What was it under the bed? They're literal under the bed monsters, which is fucked up. That it's like. Some little, like, witch kid is like, there's a monster under my bed. And it's like, oh, yeah, okay, we'll get rid of it. And it's like, wait, what? No. This isn't, like, my imagination is an actual nightmare creature. Like, literal nightmare creature. And it's like, the uh, think about this world is okay. No.
0: <laughs> Can we talk about, like, how ridiculous works? Because I feel like it doesn't Hmm. Like, if if you have a class of eight students, and all of them are, like, making their fears funny and laughing at the bogart and it takes that long for them, but, like, the laughter isn't what finishes it. It's, like, Lupin being more powerful than the kids doing the ridiculous spell. Like, nothing happens to make it the moon funny. mm mm-hmm. It just... That's what... Kills the boggart. So, like,
1: wait, I thought Neville had the killing blow for the, or the. Oh. If it's dead, I don't, mm-hmm. that's no, also a right. question. It just like evaporates. I don't know.
0: Yeah, no, you're correct. Mm-hmm. But shouldn't it have died like a long time before? Because the kids are doing the spell effectively. Like, if it's just you and a bogart, and you do the ridiculous spell and you make your fear funny, how long do you have to laugh? <laughs> before it dies because it seems like a long time
2: and it seems strange because how when your fear is something kind of like a little more i don't know existential like harry like a dementor or hermione who we later find out you know it's failure you know literally failure how do you <laughs> i mean i i don't i don't know how you make that funny i don't know how you laugh at that because I've tried to think a hundred times and I can't think of a way to make a Dementor funny. And so many of the kids in this class have very like, I'm afraid of a Banshee. I'm afraid of a spider. Where are the kids who are afraid of like, I don't know stuff. That's not just a scary monster. That was strange to me.
0: Yeah. And I think we're going to get more into that in editorials. Okay.
2: Yeah. I'm jumping ahead.
0: (laughs) No, that's okay. Okay. It happens a lot. <laughs> it's a very disorganized podcast. <laughs> yeah, I think that's all of that's all of my questions is mostly just like I don't I don't understand a lot about bogarts. Which I think will come up even more when when Harry is using a bogart to learn how to mm. produce the Patronus charm.
1: They must literally be all over Hogwarts. Cause Lupin finds one really quickly.
0: Yeah. And he finds another one for Harry to fight <laughs> later, so
1: They're just they're just all over all over Hogwarts. Sorry, I'm just gonna keep thinking about them as like magical bed bugs because I'm just like it's just like, uh <laughs> have to get rid of this thing. And then it's back.
0: Anyway. Yeah. And it's it, it sounds like, you know, Lupin says like he asked the staff to leave that one, so they must be just like very familiar with like, uh, a bogart. Like Get rid of it. They must be constantly getting rid of them. Yeah. Castle is huge. And you would have to check everywhere that kids go regularly for them. Because like, imagine students coming upon a boggart unexpectedly. (laughs) So thank God Lupin's fucking teaching them this spell. (laughs) Yeah. No
2: kidding.
1: (laughs) Yes. Oh, man.
0: Welcome to Editorials, where we rant about stuff. In which we continue this conversation about boggarts. And my first note is, this is just literally not how worst fears work. The premise that, like, you could be told, think of your worst fear and a way to make it funny, and you would know what the bogart was gonna turn into is like uh uh-uh. uh. I don't I don't think people like surface level necessarily know what their worst fear is. Like a kid could be like, Oh, my worst fear is a banshee for like who fucking knows what reason, and then the bogart comes out and is like, Oh, okay, I'll be a banshee. Like I feel like for Seamus, it's Seamus's that's a banshee, right?
2: Yes, I think so. Yeah, I
1: think so.
0: Like He'd be like, oh, it's a banshee. And then the boggart would would pop out and be like, surprise, I'm your like estranged muggle dad screaming at your mom. Yeah. How funny am I? Work on it, kid. Figure it out. <laughs> like, what?
2: <laughs> I feel like the... Because we really only get Harry as an example of this process of what does it look like to think about what your worst fear is. That that it reflects anything that's even close to what that might be like, like going through, okay, Voldemort, like that seems reasonable. Oh, wait, I don't know if that's my worst fear. And I just, I mean, I (laughs) I already said it a second ago, but just how I don't understand how you are. Is this just mean that some people aren't equipped to fight Boggarts? You know, if you're, if your worst fear is a spider, well, great, like make a silly spider. But if your worst fear is a Dementor, I don't. I don't know how you fight against a bogger if it's.
0: If that's just what it turn is, turn it into like a giant mood stabilizer. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's how I would fight my bogger. <sighs>
2: it's
0: just a dementor with like its head replaced with Lamictal. That'd be really funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't think. I don't think that these are these kids' actual worst fears. mm-hmm i was really offended by a rat being one of them also it's like this is a world where so many people around you have pet rats like this is no i get it muggles are scared of rats witches are not scared of rats
1: yeah maybe it's lavender who we determine is probably muggle-born or something and maybe she's a lot of anxiety about all the rats in Hogwarts. fine (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it's, like, I don't know. I wonder. So, obviously, like, the, the bog art is, like, plucking something out of your mind that is, like, your fear. But I wonder if it's, like, okay, you have a fear of abandonment and being lonely. I can't really deal with that. But your uh, fear of snakes. I got that one. Like, maybe it's just, like, flipping through <laughs> and you're like, oh, uh okay that one yes rats i could be a rat i know what a rat is
0: okay yeah so like um, not to mention <laughs> buffy for like the 75th time this episode um, but in in the dream sequence xander's nightmare season two maybe i don't remember if it's season two or if this is the one in season four but
1: not that is it the halloween one in season four
0: no the one at the end of season four the one that's entirely a dream sequence there's a point where Xander has a dream sequence where part of his nightmare is clowns but also part of his nightmare is his dad screaming at him about him being worthless Mm. and so you know clearly Xander has anxiety about both of these things and you're suggesting that the bogart would be like I mean I guess your dad screaming at you is actually pretty easy to manifest but like if, if one is more like ephemeral then it can just be like well you're also terrified of clowns so like
1: right like, I mean, I both have a fear of abandonment and then also a fear of spiders. So it's like my Boggart would probably be a giant spider, which is, ugh, you know, or something.
2: So you're really screwed if your are like if you have a sort of like, uh, yeah, you know, something like like Molly Weasley, where all of her family dies. Like that's yes. that's very like, you know. Uh, that's not the same thing as being scared of a banshee I don't think so if you have a fear like that that can be like manifested then you're in big trouble if you get a, a bogger in front of you make it
0: funny Molly come on <laughs> <laughs> the worst therapy session <laughs> <laughs> Oh,
2: also
1: can we just talk about how nothing that the kids make their fears more humorous except for Neville is actually humorous yeah
0: Ron like... is worse
1: it is <laughs> <laughs> <So gross. laughs> So much <laughs> like oh god. I like I like I know spiders legs are creepy and they move creepy, but like taking the legs off is still so horrifying. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Oh my god. And can I also like I felt like Ron's was actually like correct as much as like Ron's anxiety about spiders is so giant and the fact that in the last book he like literally met the worst possible Spider times five hundred, like yeah, of course his his bogger turned into fucking Aragog, like. But taking Aragog's legs off does not make Aragog.
2: Funny. Oh. Well, and Given that Aragog fear.
0: like five Ayn Rand books. Three, <laughs> on the other hand, hilarious.
1: <laughs> it's just it's just Aragog <laughs> with like a libertarian sash, like a little like don't tread on me. <laughs>
0: That's funny. That I would laugh at <glad with> that. <laughs> that is the episode cover art for one of our for the <laughs> chapter. Of that book, if anyone wants to look at
2: it. That that's a really interesting example because Ron's fear of spiders originates from that awful moment where one of the twins turned his teddy bear into a spider. So there's like this, you know, it it. It, I mean, because with the twins acting like that, that overlaps with Ron's fears of, you know, not being seen by his family and, uh, you know, being hurt by his family members in some ways. And I wonder if there's a a way that the Boggart can sense, like if there's something that, some kind of creature that embodies that relationship, you know, that maybe, maybe all of these in this, World, At least there is some kind of relationship between a Banshee and Seamus's worst fears about something more realistic to have your fears about maybe there's somebody in his life that is like that or a circumstance like that and it seems like very specific for everybody to have something like that, but maybe that's maybe in the wizarding world that's more common.
0: I think that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I can imagine any number of like horrifying things that probably happen to like witching kids that it's just like a part of growing up. Sometimes your siblings turn your teddy bears into terrible spiders. <laughs> Whoops.
0: Yeah. I'm just so a quarter of my brain has been like trying to locate the source of like this quote that's been happening in my head. Uh, and I found it. So in the Princess Bride book, where we actually get the backstories on Fezzik and Anigo, we learn that Fezzik's worst fear is being left alone forever. Which presumably, if presented with a Bogart, that's like a hard thing for a Bogart to manifest. Mm-hmm. But Vizini knows that that's Fezick's worst fear, and so he spends a lot of time manipulating and threatening Fezick by telling him that he's going that he's going to leave him alone forever, and that's like how he gets Fezick to do what he wants. And so I feel like a a Boggart would be able to do something like that, turn into someone meaningful Mm -hmm. to that person and say, I'm going to leave you alone forever. Right. Or like say, no one's ever going to love you, whatever the thing is. So I don't know, I guess thinking about that, like brings me back to just being like, no, like I feel like Molly Weasley shows us the most realistic thing that a Boggart would do.
2: Yeah.
0: And and so I just think that this the way that we see it show up in this chapter is incorrect.
2: Right. And And the way that it shows up for Hermione later on is much more accurate. Like you said, somebody meaningful coming in and saying, you have failed for Hermione that, like, that really gets it. And we should have seen more things like that, probably, in this chapter.
0: Right. I was thinking that, like, Lupin's, it's like, yeah, the moon. But honestly, wouldn't Lupin's be like... A crowd of people with like silver weapons trying to murder him. Mm -hmm. The moon is scary, but like his real fear is the way that other people interact with his illness. Yeah.
2: You
1: know, I guess I always interpreted that as like sort of like those are his real fears, but I feel like maybe a lot of it manifests in a sort of like. He, I feel like maybe he's just like developed a lot of like animosity about like like the moon is the signal like the it like the uh Lupin's the symbol. A
0: big, uh, proponent of the blow up the moon uh, <laughs> movement.
1: <laughs> he is as the, as the symbol of everything that like is hard in his life. He's
0: like, but it doesn't make him afraid. Up. You know what I mean? Like seeing the moon doesn't actually fill him with fear, and that's what a bogart is trying to do: is make you feel afraid. And so like Lupin looks at the moon and he's like, God fucker, you know, like whatever feelings he has, like you make this thing happen. But he doesn't, he isn't afraid when he looks at the moon.
1: I mean, maybe he has a fear of losing control. And like, that is when he,
0: I, up until it's, the that, point that, where that's he's still symbolic. It doesn't seeing mm. it, seeing a full moon when he knows the moon isn't full, doesn't make his literal fear response happen. You know what I mean? Or presume it shouldn't.
2: Be, I feel like someone like Fenrir Grayback would be like a good representation
0: of that. Fear. Yes, absolutely. Have Have we reached
1: Have we reached the the thing in this chapter that's not well seated for the f- for future revelations? Because if it was anything else connected with his werewolfism, it would be a clear tip off that he's a werewolf,
0: right? No, I know. And that that actually, I think, is, like, what I wrote, is, like, this is just here to, right, like, lay the track for the later revelations. Why? why is Lupin afraid of crystal balls? Hmm. Yeah,
1: w- why does no one recognize it as the moon? Like, the moon is a pretty distinct-looking... Like, it has craters and shit at, at, at any Hermione
0: <laughs> I did. She's, like, already on top of it she had to run
2: to arithmetic or whatever class was next and just didn't talk about it
1: yeah Uh, I have a couple of not bogart related things it's just really annoying that like Malfoy knows more about Sirius Black than Harry does at this point
0: our uh ongoing call for Harry to read a fucking book
1: (laughs) (laughs) though I mean granted considering that like that's his cousin he probably just knows more sort of anyway mm-hmm. but like yeah like harry like fucking read read a book something
2: it made me wonder because obviously and this is a theme going on until book five there's so much that and there's so much information out there that would benefit harry to know but that dumbledore does not share with harry and and other teachers too, you know. We know that McGonagall knows about what, at least the general story, what everyone believes happened when, uh, you know, Sirius supposedly betrayed James and Lily. But it it made me wonder because it's and it's the same question that Dumbledore has. Like, at what point, like, would it have been useful? What what at what point would this information be useful for Harry? And at what point would it just be like sad and destructive? And I kind of found myself thinking that this information probably I, I mean, I'm not a child psychologist, so I don't know, but I feel like it would have been really useful for Harry to have, like, already for him to know more of this is this is the what happened to you, this is what happened to your family. And if he had known, well, a lot of mistakes wouldn't have been made in this book and the other ones. I just I don't know if I don't know what y'all's thoughts are. Do you do you think there's an appropriate age to share that information? Or is that just something he should know already?
0: I mean, I, I feel like there are 75 history books available mm-hmm. that detail exactly what happened with the fall of Voldemort. And it is baffling that Harry hasn't read those books. Yeah even if no one in his life decided to share it with him, he should have that information by going to the fucking library. (laughs) Like, and beyond that, I think it's just a correction that Hermione, Hermione knows. Hermione knows exactly who Sirius Black is. Like she has read all the books on Harry. Mm. She would tell him there's no chance that he wouldn't have access to this. But if that weren't the case, no, I agree with you that like, He absolutely should have been told what happened.
1: And because then what happens is that he's getting information from, like, his enemy. He's getting information that he's overhearing. Like, he's getting all this piecemeal information. And it's like, he is frustrated. But it's like, also, this seems to be common knowledge, Harriet. You should maybe do a little bit of investigating (laughs) about what's happening. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like, there probably was a, like... I... Do not, be- I, I totally believe that Rita Skeeter had a like five, like special issue, 10 page expose of all the shit about Sirius Black. Like, Harry, did you just not see that? Did you just not see that paper?
0: Oh, you mean like right now where it's like, yeah. he's escaped and this is what? Rita is on that show. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, he, he read. Right? I mean, he's he's read newspaper articles where it's like, he killed 13 people with a single curse, but, like, why would those articles not include after betraying Lily and James Potter and, like, leading Voldemort to Harry, etc., <laughs> etc.? Cetera, et cetera. Like,
2: he's from a known Death Eater family. It's not like people wouldn't... It, people wouldn't be super surprised, probably, to hear that someone from the Black family had done something like that for voldemort right well yeah i mean his brother wasn't yeah
0: and also like it looks good for like pr to like have the guy that that did that Mm -hmm. so why would they not be at least like previously not have been like very public about you know what he what he did that his crimes included giving up the location of the potter's
1: yeah, it's, yeah, I think that maybe this thing about Harry not knowing enough about Sirius from, like, this early on in the books is maybe the, like, thing that's the weakest. Like, we're getting crumbs throughout the book, but in reality, we should be getting at least a story that Harry could, at least getting, like, different kinds of information for. He could be like, well, here's one story. Here's the official story. I just heard two different conflicting stories. What the fuck is going, mm-hmm. you know?
0: Yeah, because the the scene in The Three Broomsticks still could have been a revelation that Sirius was his parents' best friend, right? He could have known everything else and still had this horrifying information be revealed to him, and it still would have been meaningful. Mm-hmm. So, like, why did he have to find all of it out then?
2: Yeah. He even has the wedding album, or the, the album that Hagrid made for him, where Sirius
0: is in the pictures, too. That's true. So, but he looks pretty different after <laughs> yeah, a decade of torment, so... <laughs> band, does that, too, yeah, I yeah, guess. Yeah, it, it takes him a minute to get hot again yeah. after his escape. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> it's just kind of a small one, and I don't know that there's really much of an answer to it, but... Um, You see kind of these, like, especially it came up when Ron was, like, being so cruel about, you know, oh, would it be a piece of homework that got a 9 out of a 10? And how that really probably would deeply upset Hermione. And it just made me think and how failure is her biggest fear, right? Like, that's what it shows up as in her boggart. And I'm just... I guess I'm just curious as to why that is, if there's anything more than, you know, uh, she's a Virgo, like, (laughs) you know, like what, (laughs) what beyond her, I guess, is there anything besides her personality and the person who she is? What, what was life like with, you know, the Granger dentist parents and stuff like that? It just, it makes me curious to know what could be, what her early childhood experience was like, I guess.
0: Yeah, we've recently revised our position Mm -hmm. on this. So we were reading Hermione as coming from an abusive household Mm -hmm. until the beginning of this book. So when she meets the Dementors um, and doesn't have the kind of reaction one would expect Mm -hmm. from someone who grew up in an abusive household... Um, So that combined with the fact that we, after that episode where we were sort of naming the things that were making us read Hermione, that way we had several um, autistic listeners write in and be like, is Hermione autistic? And in talking with them and doing more research into that, we have like revised our position on where Hermione is coming from to Hermione is autistic, which is like, honestly, a huge relief for us because we're like, cool, if we can not have Hermione have a trauma history (laughs) and instead just have Hermione be neurodiverse, that's, like, way better. Um, And we're very excited about it. And I think that... I mean, Jesse, maybe, do you want to speak to how that plays into this sort of, like, academic prowess? Like... Because I know you've done a lot of reading on it.
1: So I think that... I feel like I don't necessarily think that all of the pressure Hermione feels uh, to succeed is from her family. I feel like a lot of it is just like her internally putting a lot of stock in her academic success as like part of who she is as a person. And I and I think and I think the part of it that comes from her family is like probably just growing up as a like middle-class Black person in the UK and, like, having to outperform her white peers in order to, like, get any kind of respect, which I feel like she, it seems, didn't get as when I mean, she was in regular children's school and is only kind of getting in here at Hogwarts. So I just feel like... I just feel like her money has sort of woven her academic success into, like, how she feels... As a person in the world and like how she kind of, you know, filters stuff about herself into the world as being like, all right, academic success, good as a person, you know?
0: Yeah. And I I think part of it is sort of, uh, this is a way that she, they call it masking, right? And like girls and people who, uh, like, you know, assign female folks often, who are autistic often um, perform masking really well. So like, which is basically like a way to perform a level of quote, like neurotypicalness that is not authentic to like your actual brain. And being really good at school is a fairly common one because it's like a way that you can be, recognized by teachers and adults and like be validated that doesn't necessarily rely on like surface level social interactions that are uninteresting or uncomfortable or whatever and so if she is like basically depending on her ability to perform school to like feel like she has a place in society not doing that 100 percent like not doing that all the way is sort of like an, an undoing of everything that she is like putting into that I don't know how well I just said that but
2: that makes total sense that's a and that it's it's, it's strange to me on a personal level that I didn't see that as a Uh, as a reading of Hermione, just I'm very close to a couple of neurodiverse individuals, but looking and seeing those two things together, it makes so much sense. This uh, everything that she goes through. And and one of the neurodiverse folks in my life, we once got into a big debate about Trelawney. Um, And it's, you know, it's that same place where there's this uh, uh, Hermione doesn't necessarily like the I don't know the kind of maybe fuzziness that divination has and perhaps that would be that could be more difficult for somebody who is neurodiverse um and it was it it felt that way in the discussion I had so that yeah that I think on when y'all were on Beyond the Veil, we talked about how these different like readings and headcanons of characters add such a nuanced understanding of the text. And so now neuro-di- Neurodiverse Hermione is my new favorite reading because that just adds so much to everything there is to her character. So I will be reading the books with a whole new perspective, which is just the best thing to have when you're
0: going back. <laughs> so Yeah, we're also very excited about it. So. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. And I feel like part of it is also, like, as someone who has ADHD, like, there's a lot of things that her money does. I'm like, yep, I recognize <laughs> that thing about trying to get validation through academic success. Not great. Yeah. <laughs> <It> turns out. <laughs> totally. Uh, also, her, like, intense hyper vigilance about what's going on around mm-hmm. her, which is, like, really important to the text because she knows things before anyone else does, and that's been really key to like harry surviving because harry is not as observant as i would like him to be (laughs) like hermione's constantly evaluating everything that's going on her at all times yeah which is just a lot of information to be taking into her brain yeah so
0: welcome to corrections where we correct stuff uh so there's a hotline for Muggles to call the Ministry of Magic to report sightings of Sirius Black. Arthur Weasley, lover of Muggle technology, works at the Ministry of Magic in a department that one would think would absolutely have a line that Muggles could contact in case of you know, specific weird emergencies and he should know what a fucking phone is (laughs) like there's no excuse for him not knowing what a phone is if someone in the ministry was using phones arthur would be in their office like every second of every day like so excited about the fucking phone (laughs) (laughs) jesse always has to counter my corrections what do you have (laughs)
1: No, 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 no. I think what I imagine is that there's, like, one phone, and it's, like, in the magical law enforcement department, and, like, I don't know, Kingsley has it or something. (laughs) Someone in, like, whatever the magical law enforcement department is. Because, like, it is weird that there isn't a phone in, like... Arthur's office, and there isn't, despite all the like. I mean, there and there not seem to be any anyone anywhere else. But there must be some way that like Arthur finds out about all the weird shit that happens, for his job. Mm-hmm. So like, where is that filtering through NSA? And it must be another department. NSA, I mean NSA.
0: But Sorry. no, for sure. If Kingsley had had a phone in his cubicle, though, like Arthur would be like, "Hey, buddy." <laughs> Is it wrong yet? Like, and, and, and like another, (laughs) another witch is like the only person who could actually teach Arthur Weasley how to use a phone, but for sure, like he, he would insist that that happens. Like he specifically talks about wanting to know how phones work at some point when we meet him.
1: Does he want to know like how to use it or like how it's you pick up a phone and you can hear someone else's voice from like miles away?
0: Fair. I guess I'm just saying that like the, the fiasco with Ron calling Harry at the beginning of book two this book yes yes Yes. shouldn't have happened like arthur should have been able to be like this is what you do i don't know it's magic lol muggle magic but like he should have been like you just talk into it
1: no you're right that should that should definitely be a thing he should be familiar with if not when he's out in the world and someone's like my phone bit me on the ear or some whatever bullshit right
0: yeah. So, hence it's a correction.
2: The only universe I see where both of these things where where Arthur has access to this phone and he still gave Ron bad advice would be if he answered the phone ever and just, you know, screaming like I saw Sirius Black and whoever was <laughs> on the other line is just screaming at him like there he's here, he's here, he's got a gun. And yeah, that's that's the only world but I uh <laughs>
0: I don't think that that happened, so. I like it, though. That's (laughs) good. Okay. Okay, are we done? Yeah, I think so. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Gaily Prophet. Madison, can you uh, tell folks how to find you and your podcast?
2: Yes. Um, So you can find us. We are active on social media. Uh, If you're on Instagram, that'd probably be the best way to follow us. We are... At Beyond the Veil Pod. Um, we are also at Beyond the Veil Pod on Facebook and uh, Beyond the Veil MN on Twitter. You can find us on MuggleNet. We are on the little uh, our family tab. We don't have our own website or anything, but if you go to MuggleNet and go to where the podcasts are, you can find us. And uh, yeah, if you want to be talk about your mental health in harry potter then that's the place where you should go so thank you all for having me on
0: yeah thank you so much for joining us this has been a delight absolutely yeah no this has been a lot of fun (laughs) thanks the song that you heard in this episode is called Hufflepunks and it is by Boom Boom Raccoon. You should read all about them in the show notes for this episode and click all of the links to their various uh, social media and their band camp where you can listen to their music and, you know, give them all of the love and appreciation in the world because they are very awesome. Uh, you can find The gaily Prophet on the internet at thegailyprophet.com. You can find us on social media at The Gayly on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash
1: If you want to know more about me in between episodes, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Jesse underscore Detroit or on Instagram at Live from detroit.
0: You can find me on the internet at Larkmalachi.com, LarkMalakai.com, dot com, or on Instagram at LarkMalakai or at RadicalHealer.
1: Uh, our spoiler warning is by Sarah Sarwar. Is our music is by Kevin McLeod, And also the, uh, our logo art is by Theo Julian Forrester, who also creates excellent comics for every chapter episode, which you can see on our social media pages or on our website. Yes. And until next time. Pedagogy. Gargoyle. Taxidermy. LOL.